So good to see all of you and to be able to worship together. And um, perhaps if you have ever been curious what it might have felt like for uh, Jesus' disciples to try and figure out how they could get to him and you had to get lowered in by the roof to be able to uh, meet with Jesus, now we understand a little bit maybe what that feels like. Um, and uh, our brother Quentin is going to get our fans turned on for us, maybe hopefully cool you off a little bit. Thank you for your patience. Um, as you can see, we have... Uh, we are growing, and um, we're going to need a bigger boat, and uh, so that's just going to continually be a, a need um, that we have, and just uh, ask if there's anything that, uh, any, as we talked about last night, you, if you weren't here, you missed this, but we talked about just being generous people, and um, we're going to need a bigger boat. We're going to need to uh, be able to, to do that work. So um, if you are a guest with us, I want to just invite you in to what's uh, a little bit more deeply, as Pastor Kyle alluded, this is our summit weekend. And um, what that is, is uh, summit weekend is really the kicking off of our ministry as a church uh, for the new year. We step into the fall season and in sort of church life, we, we kind of follow the school calendar a bit. And so this is our time to get uh, just sort of synced up as a church in reminding, reminding ourselves of the ministry that God has uh, given us. And uh, if you did miss out on last night, um, I just want to encourage you, make a note and uh, be a part of Summit 23 because uh, you missed out on a lot of fun. Uh, one of the great things I love about our church, just we talk about church being a family, and uh, we experience that as uh, we have a lot of fun together, we laugh a lot, uh, we make fun of one another quite regularly. And so we got a chance to do that a little bit um, last night, and uh, so I'm just, uh, if you missed last night, just know I'm... I'm, I'm Kenley, I'm just a little sad for you. That's really all I can say. Um, kind of like how I feel for Eagles fans. Um, and, uh, and, but, uh, you know, don't talk to me about the other ev events of last evening uh, as well. Um, I do also want to just quickly say um, just a word of thanksgiving to Pastor Kyle. Um, his uh, love language is not words of affirmation, um, but you can buy him lunch. He does like that. And, uh, but he... Uh, his leadership and work to really make this weekend happen for us. All of those various meetings that he talked about, uh, our team has worked tirelessly and he has led out on that effort and really makes it all happen. So we're so grateful. I'm very thankful uh, to just be able to serve alongside that dear brother. Um, if you are able, uh, if you, if you, not if you're able, <laughs> sorry, that sounded weird. If you have your Bibles, um, if you want to open up to Ephesians chapter 4 that you heard uh, Matt read, and um, there those fans are, so uh, you're going to get some cool air here in just a moment, and um, we're going to look at this text, and we are taking a break from our study in the book of Hebrews. If you've been with us for a little bit of a season, um, this weekend, for Summit Weekend, we're taking a break from our study in the book of Hebrews, and really focusing our attention on what is God doing and our role in that. Uh, for our covenant partners and regular attenders, um, and by the way, if you are a regular attender but not yet a covenant partner, I want to encourage you to take that step of commitment, and I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in, in a few moments, but this message is really written to you with, with, with our church in mind um, to consider what it is that God is doing and what our role is in that story. Um, at the same time, though, if you're a guest, whether this is your first time here at City Church or maybe you've just kind of you've visited a few times and um, maybe perhaps your family like many are doing right now and have often done sort of looking for a church family to gather with and to commit their lives to and to join and come alongside, 
I would just encourage you to use this message and use what we see um, in the book of Ephesus in chapter 4 in some ways just as your litmus test, as your guide to understanding what it is that God is doing as Christians, our role in that, and then where the church plays in that. And as you consider churches, just ask yourself, Am I, is this a church that I can be a part of what God is doing, that I can see God at work? That's what I want to try and answer for us this morning. What is God doing? What is our role in that? When you think about that question, what is God doing, you've heard me probably ask that question a few times over the last months if you've been at City Church for any while. It's something that I realize I need to try and ask more and more frequently in my life. When I am blessed with good news and great things are happening and there's celebrations taking place, I need to ask myself, what is God doing? I don't need to just simply celebrate and just give thanks to God for that, but I need to, it's worthwhile for me to say, what are you doing in this, Lord? Why have you given this favor? Why have you moved in this way? Why have you allowed these blessings of events to take place? And in the same way, we need to do the same when we are facing trials, when we come into the hardships of life, which are surely going to happen to us. We face hard circumstances, things aren't going our way. Serious challenges, real heartbreak, all of the things that happen in this life. We should ask ourselves, yes, we need to try and find a hope and get help to get our way out of those things. But at the same time, we shouldn't rush too quickly away from the trial before we ask ourselves, God, what are you teaching me? What are you doing in the midst of this trial? Because we know that God is sovereign over all things. He gives us blessing and he, he, he does so many good things for us. And at the same time, when we face trials, he is over those things too. And he is using them and he is at work in them. And so it's worthwhile to ask, what are you doing? I believe if we thought about that question more regularly, what are you doing, God? And we asked him in prayer, what are you doing here? Why am I facing this? What do you intend this to teach me about yourself or anything of the like? We'd have much more peace, wouldn't we? We would be a lot more resolved to know whether it's been good, we're in a season of joy or a season of trial, to know and understand that God is doing something. And because he is good, we can trust whatever it is that he's doing will be for our good. So as we ask this question more broadly, we can know the answer. What is God doing in the world? What is God doing in our midst? And here is the answer. God is building his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven so that he would be glorified. God is building his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven so that he would receive the glory that he deserves. If you think about heaven and all that we know of that, and we don't know everything, but we know enough to know that God is being worshiped and receiving all the glory. There is no one in heaven that is not glorifying the Father in this very moment and glorifying Jesus and praising him. No one is saying, hey, Jesus, I'm going to take a quick break. I've got to go do some stuff over here for a little bit. I'll come back to bringing glory to your name in a few minutes or after I play, kind of hang out, do this thing on Saturday. No, everyone for all time, and this is going to be good. And I know some of you think, well, I don't know what that's going to feel like. Let me just tell you, it's going to be good. 
I don't know exactly either, but I know it's going to be good. And everyone in heaven is bringing God glory. And what he has invited us into, what he's doing here on the earth, is he is working and establishing and moving in such a way, redeeming all things, making all things new, transforming lives, so that he would receive the same glory here on earth. And he's building his kingdom. So if you ask and you want to know, what is God doing in our world? What is God doing in our midst? You can start with understanding and, and, and recognizing that God is building his kingdom. And he's doing that one soul, one life at a time. As people come to know Jesus, receive the gift of salvation and faith, and their heart of stone is transformed into hearts of flesh that are malleable and can be shaped by him and be used by him for his glory. So if we know that he is moving and working to bring glory to himself here on earth as it is in heaven, and that's all he's doing, and he's building his kingdom in order to do that, the means through which that he is doing that, we can ask, well, how is he going about doing that? How he was doing that is really simple. The church. God is using the church to build his kingdom. His primary and first mission agency is the local church. The church of Jesus Christ moving out and doing what he intended to do, what he has called us to do. His primary means is the local church. If we think about what it says in Ephesians 3, we back up a chapter from where we started this morning. In Ephesians 3.10, God's word says that the local church, the church, is the manifold wisdom of God. And that wisdom of God is so powerful, it says that it causes even authorities and rulers to understand that what they think they're in charge of and all the knowledge that they have and all the power that they have as authority and rulers, it pales in comparison to the wisdom of God. And we, his people, the church, is the means for the world seeing how God operates, what God is like, seeing his nature, seeing him move and work. So, God is building his kingdom. The means through which he is doing that is the local church. And so we must recognize, we think about all the ministries that we're kicking off this weekend and all the work that is to be done in our community and beyond and around the world, he is using us and we have a role to play And so we come to Ephesians chapter 4 to try and understand more clearly how he is doing that through us. The first thing that he does, knowing that he's building his kingdom, he's using the church to do that, is he brings us together. He brings us together. A lot more of us this morning than we're here last weekend. A lot more of us last weekend than we're here three or four weeks ago and a lot more of us here then than two years ago. God is building his kingdom through us and he brings us together. Look at Ephesians 4, verses one through seven with me again. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of which you have been called, which tells us he is writing this letter, this this message right here is to Christians who have been called to Christ, who have received the faith. 
And as we understand what Christ has done for us, then we should walk and our lives should be reflective of that. Our lives should be worthy of what Christ has done. And so we should just live lives with the fruit of the Spirit. We're filled with the Spirit when we come to faith in Christ. And so the overflow of that Spirit working in us, His Spirit working in us, is that we display humility. We are gentle. We are patient. We bear with one another in love. Eager Focus on this, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We are unified under Christ. That means that all of the possibilities that could divide us, there's so many things that could separate us, could cause us to say, hey, I don't know about this person, I don't really deal with that, I don't like that. All of those divisions pale in comparison, are secondary, and in a sense, they are worthless compared to the unifying act of Christ and our understanding that we are sinful people, every single one of us in this room, sinful people who apart from the work of Christ would be rightly condemned by God, but in his grace and mercy, but God, he raised us to life. It's the gospel that unifies us. And where there could be division, look more closely. It's highlighted for you on the screen. Now there's a bunch of, bunch of ones. There is one body, one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. There is one. There are many that could divide. But he has called us together to be unified and to be one body understanding the one faith that is the result of one Lord and Savior that has redeemed us. We've been given this gift of faith and he has called us together. He is building his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven so that he would be glorified in this world, so he would receive the rightful glory that is due to him. And he is doing that through the local church where a church is unified around the one thing that will last and be sustaining and give power and life to it, which is the hope of Christ. Not divided by all of the things that could divide us, but united in Christ. So he's brought us together. He then says, as he has brought us together, he has given each, in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He says, we've been given gifts, and each of us have a role to play. Each of us have been given a gift to use. When we've talked so much at, around this weekend about finding a place, and a lot of that can be finding a place to serve. Again, I want to just say to you as a guest, we're not asking you to jump right in and serve. We, would, uh, we, we sort of make fun of ourselves at how quickly we invite you to jump in on something, but just know you don't have that burden right now, okay? You can just sit and rest and revel in the gospel of Jesus. That's what we want you to do for a season. But if you've been here for a little while, I'm just going to go and define that for like more than, no, I'm not going to define it. If you've been here for long enough to think, hey, you know what, I'm going to stay here. This is, a, this is where I've been brought by Christ, unified with these brothers and sisters to work for the glory of God, to build his kingdom here on the earth. If you know that about yourself, then you need to commit. You need to move forward, as we said, with covenant partnership. That's what we call membership. We have two classes for that, City Church 101 and 201. Step one is 101. Step two is 201, kind of just like we do in schools. You know, we just follow that path along. But we need to commit and we need to come together and use the gifts that God has given us 
to be able to use those gifts. He has given each of us grace. And then in verse 11, he gives us apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. He gives us shepherds. He gives us, as a church, that is called to be about the work of Christ, building his kingdom so that he would receive the glory that he rightly deserves. He gives us these shepherds. We talk a lot in our church, and I believe we display it pretty well. I hope we do at least. I am not the senior pastor of City Church. I am not the chief shepherd of City Church. Jesus Christ is the senior pastor of this church. Jesus Christ is our chief shepherd. And there's a plurality of seven men, elders, that have been called and set apart by this church to shepherd and to care for the sole care of this church. And the seven of us in a plurality, we are called to do one thing. That is to equip you, the saints, to equip believers. So he brings us together, then he gives us shepherds to equip And when we think about what that means to equip the saints to do the work of ministry, here's what it looks like. This is a very short way of saying this. To ensure that you know, you understand, you believe, and you apply the gospel to every area of your life. That you know, you understand, that you believe, and you apply the gospel. You live it out. We're called to make sure you understand that, that you know it, that we hope that you would believe it, we plead with you, we pray on your behalf that you would believe the gospel every single day, not just once for salvation and then just say, I'm over the gospel, but every single moment of your life that you would remember that you have been redeemed by Jesus Christ and that you don't have to do anything to earn that favor, but you can worship Jesus and you can respond and you can live your life for him out of obedience to what he has done because he's worthy of it all. We want you to believe that. And when you fail, we want you to believe that you're not condemned, but God's grace is there for you and he will pick you back up again and he will spur you on. We want you to believe that, and we want you to live that out. And as you live that out, we will begin to accomplish this great mission that God has given us. And so, we're called to equip the saints for the work of ministry. What that tells us is is that each and every one of us has a work of ministry to be done. Doesn't all look the same. Each of us has been given varied gifts, Each of us use those gifts in various places. Not just even, by the way, not just within the means of the local church. We're here to equip you, to spur you on, to train and disciple and help you to understand what it means and how to live out the gospel. But that's also so you can go out into the world and do that. So as you engage with your neighbor, as you spend time with your family member, as you think about people that are far off from you, maybe you have some connection or reach to, you also can do the work of ministry. I talk about this every time we graduate some seniors, and I know we have some of our college students even here in our midst or those that are about to be, and they're gonna depart from this city. They're gonna go off into campuses all over the country. And one of the things I love about that and when I think about that is this is a great opportunity for us to see this in real life where people who have been equipped and discipled and understand what it means to believe and live out the gospel in their lives, they're gonna go to places that we will have no reach. My sons go to Baylor University, sick them. They have a reach onto that campus that I do not have. I love to go there. I love to hang out with them whenever they allow me. I love to do all those things. 
But I do not have a reach into the souls of the sophomores, juniors, senior class at Baylor University that they have. The students in this room, you go on to your various campuses, wherever you attend school, you go into your life, onto your sports teams, parents, you go into an office place, you go into your place of business, all the things that you do in your life, you have a reach that I don't have, that Kent doesn't have, that Heath doesn't have, that Chris doesn't have. Each and every one of us equipped to do the work of ministry. And we each have a ministry to give. And what does that ministry do? What is the purpose of the ministry that we've been given? Look closely at verse 13. We're called to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. I should have said the end of 12 and then 13. For the building up of the body until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. See, he gives us this work of ministry first so that we might build up the body, that we might build one another up. How do you do that? Are you engaged in other people's lives? First thing that he does and the way that we do that is we come together in community, in real relationships We get vulnerable with one another. We treat each other like family. Do you know what I can't do with my family? I don't mean the local family, my my immediate family, my sons, because, you know, they're amazing, and my wife, she's the greatest thing that's ever lived. She's right over there, by the way. She hates it when I point her out. But you know my extended family? I can't just decide, nah, you're kind of crazy, dude, so we're out. I'm not hanging out with you anymore. You can't do that. They're family. Guess what? We're the family of God. We got challenges. We got broken people. We got sin. We're all broken people. That all is about who we are. And so as we come together and we build one another up, we recognize that we are a community of God, again, brought together in God's sovereignty for some purpose, and that purpose is to bring glory to him. So in all of our differences and all of our sort of uniquenesses and circumstances, all the challenges that we have in life, he brings us together and he establishes us as a family. We understand that our weakness is not something that should cause us to condemn one another, but our weakness is what unifies us because it reminds us of our greatest need, which is the gospel. I am weak. He is strong. We spur one another on. We build up the body. Then he says, as we build, we do this work of ministry for the building up of the body. Until what? Until we all attain, he comes back again to unity. Unity and knowledge. So if we think of what our body being built up looks like, it's gonna look like our body, this family of God being unified, unified in mission, unified in purpose, unified together as that family, and growing in our knowledge of the Son of God. This is discipleship. Growing in knowledge is discipleship. One of the ways that we've defined discipleship here at this church, it's not the perfect uh, uh, definition, you probably have a better one. But we define discipleship here as growing in submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
If you want to ask, if you ever ask yourself, what does that mean to be a disciple? How do I, what what does it mean to to engage in a discipleship relationship? That just means that you and one another person or a few other people or in some sort of gathering of people, maybe even what's happening here on this Sunday morning that's a larger gathering, we are spurring one another on to grow in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That he is Lord, that he is sovereign over all of our lives, and that what he says is what matters. His direction is what matters. And we submit our lives to that. And so we grow as disciples. This is head and heart knowledge. As we grow in submission to lordship, one of the things that we do to help that, make that happen, to lead us into that, is we have all sorts of various other gatherings besides this Sunday morning gathering. That's a lot of the meetings that you're heard about or are on that calendar. Men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, Community nights where we can come together and just enjoy fellowship and get to know one another, build the bonds of friendship, all these good gifts from God. We do something here called fight clubs. No, we're not just big Brad Pitt fans. That's not the deal. But a fight club is just a group of people, a small gathering of believers that come together intentionally because of their friendship, because, hey, I enjoy hanging out with you, we're friends, and we just say to one another, we're gonna focus on growing in submission to the lordship of Jesus. We're not gonna get together so we can hang out and just talk. We're not gonna get together and just sort of discuss life and all the challenges. We're not gonna get together and talk about work or get together and talk about the cowboys or anything like that. We're gonna get together and spur one another on as we grow in submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what we're trying to do in these fight clubs. That's the purpose of them. And all of those other things that I mentioned are just places for you to build those relationships and for that unity that God intends to give us to be found. We're unified as we spend time together. Again, that's why we must be intentional. We spur one another on. So, God is building his kingdom so that he would receive the glory that only he deserves. And he is doing that through the local church. That is his primary means of building his kingdom. And he has called us together as this local church and given us shepherds and teachers and leaders to help equip us to do the great work of ministry that he's called us to do. And why? Why does he do all of this? Well, so that we might look more like Jesus. The end of verse 13. To mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We do this ministry until we look like Jesus, till we reflect Jesus. That's the whole reason that we're here. He's going to get glory when his body and his name is elevated and displayed. We want to look like Jesus. We want to be mature, full Followers of Christ. Well, what does it mean, you ask, to be mature? What does a mature Christian look like? What does it mean if we say that we look like Jesus? Well, let's just look at four things in Jesus' life. I'm almost done. These will be fast, by the way. But just look at four things. And this, again, this list isn't comprehensive, but I just want you to consider for a moment Jesus' life. The first thing is that Jesus was a, his life was surrendered. Jesus' life was surrendered. 
Luke twenty two forty two. this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, knows that he's about to go to the cross to lay down his life for me and for you. And he's pleading with the Father, if there's any other way for you to accomplish this plan of you building your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven so that you'd get all the glory that you deserve, Father, if there's any other way for you to redeem these people, if there's any other way for you to give them new life and for you to accomplish all that you intend to do, Father, do anything else, please, but not my will, only yours. Jesus was about to face the greatest trial that anyone in the history of ever has ever faced complete separation from the Father with which in eternity past he had never experienced. That was what was about to happen the next day for Jesus. And he says, not my will, but yours. His life was totally surrendered. So if we're going to be mature believers, our lives also must be lives where we just say, not my will, Father, only yours. We talked about this last night, and this is something that I have to celebrate in our church. So many of you are sitting in very uncomfortable chairs, or not chairs at all, and you drove in in a really dusty parking lot, and you had to wait in line. You had to hike a mile and a half to get into the building. You had to wait in long lines where iPads didn't work and all the other sorts of things that happened just so you could come in here and you could worship Jesus. You're living lives of surrender, and so I want to give glory to God and praise that we do that, and that's not easy. I get it, but this is what We do, we come together because God has called us together to unify us, to strengthen us, and remind us it's not about us. It's not about you, I say that in love. It is not about you and that's the best thing that you could ever learn. It's about Jesus, it's about him. Next thing we see in Jesus' life was Jesus served. Mark 10, 45, the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I just want you to, Just ponder that text seriously for a moment. The God of the universe said, I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve you. Can, like, read Philippians 2 this afternoon and have that all in your mind. And if your mind doesn't explode just within awe of the power of Jesus, then we're gonna have a talk later. Come see me. In love, we'll have a good talk. It'll be fun. The God of the universe said, I came to serve, not to get what I want, but to serve you and ultimately to surrender his life for you, which is the third, Jesus gave. And Jesus gave unconditionally. John 15, 13, greater love has none than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. That verse gets used and applied in a lot of different ways, but I want you to hear what it is about. This is Jesus saying of himself, I come to lay my life down for you. I come to lay my life down for you, and he calls you a friend. He gave unconditionally. Jesus knew all of the situations. Right now, if I asked any single one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, I know I could do this for myself. I could make you a list of all the reasons that I'm not worthy to receive the gift of grace that Christ has given me. I'm not worthy of it. I'd say, Jesus, you don't need to give that. He gave it to me unconditionally. 
He loved me that much, and he gave, and he was generous. And so when we talk about giving, and we don't talk about it a lot, I know you're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, he's about to ask for money. Well, a little bit, but we need more room, as you can clearly tell. But no, I'm just saying we need to be people that give everything away. Have you noticed a theme here? Surrendered, serving, giving. We need, our lives need to say, it's not, again, it's not about me. And everything of my life is yours, Father. Everything. Don't hold anything back. Because Jesus has not held anything back from you, and he's worthy of that. And as if we're going to be mature believers, who doesn't want to be mature? Who of you don't have children that like to tell you how old they are when they're asking for something that you're really not ready to give them? A lot. None of you said yes to that. I can't believe that. (laughs) You're just too hot. I get it. Finally, Jesus went. Matthew 18, the parable of the lost sheep. Jesus says, Who wouldn't leave the 99 to go after the one? And if he finds it there, look at the end. If he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 than ever those that went astray. Jesus went. He was willing to go. He pursued you. He pursued me. We need, if we're going to be a mature believers and if we think about our responsibility to equip the saints to do the work of ministry so that Jesus' name would be elevated and lifted up, all of those things result in us being willing to go wherever he would call us. We talked about church planning just yesterday. We had a church planning meeting and our church is entering in. If you're a guest with us, in the fall of 2023, we're preparing to send out a team from this church to plant a new church. To say yes, goodbye to people that we love dearly that are critical, two of our elders and other leaders that are critical even to the work of this church, to doing the ministry that we're called to do. We're saying we're willing and we want to celebrate them going. You might be called even in this moment to go to the nations to to proclaim the gospel to a group that doesn't even know the name of Christ. Any of those things, we are people that say we are surrendered, we are here to serve, we are here to give our lives away in whatever that means, and we are here to go. Can you imagine if we were all maturely growing in those, just, the, just those four attributes of Jesus' life, what this world might look like and what God might be doing through this church? This is the purpose. This is why we are here. And finally, what is this all about? I've said it over and over again. It's so that we would give him glory. So that we would give Jesus glory. Look closely at what happens. We grow in maturity at the end of 13 so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful scheme. Rather, speaking the truth in love We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. So what? So that it builds itself up in love. All that is happening, all that we are doing, all that we are called to do, is so that we might give Christ the glory that he deserves so that we might look like Jesus. And as we look like Jesus, it's very clear what will happen. 
We won't be tossed to and fro by all the winds of the world. Have you, again, you noticed in our culture, perhaps some of us, but especially those that are far from Christ, how every wind that blows tosses them about. There's no anchor for their soul. There's no hope. There's no joy. Have you ever experienced that? As Christians, we don't have to have that. We don't have to to deal with that. We have an anchor for our souls, a hope, which is Christ. As we grow into mature believers, as we are built up, we will look like Jesus. And we will find that all those things that can blow and toss us about no longer seem to have the sway that they have. And we're built up in love for one another. So, when we think about all that is happening in our lives and all the challenges, And we ask, God, what are you doing? We have an answer. You're making me look more like your son, Jesus. In the good times, you're making me look more like Jesus through this. In the challenge, in the trial, I trust you're making me look more like Jesus so that I would reflect him more clearly and more fully to a world that desperately needs to see Jesus. There's not another hope for the world, friends. There's nothing else that will satisfy. There's no other solution. If this just were to happen, well, if this were to happen, maybe this politician would do this. Maybe this, this leader would do this. Maybe this, this situation in my life would go away. None of those things matter. What matters is that you have the hope of Christ, that you know Christ, and that you know his love, and that you look like him to a world that needs to see him. That's what we're called to do. Let's pray and ask for Jesus' help to be a church that reflects him. Father in heaven, I thank you for this time that you've given us together. Thank you for just even the patience and the endurance of these dear friends to hear, I hope, from you. I pray that any words that were untrue, that were from me and not from you, you would just remove them from our minds and allow your truth, allow your word only to remain. I thank you for what you're doing in our midst. We have real challenges. We don't even have enough seats for everyone, Lord, and yet you're moving and you're calling us here. We trust that you're at work. So even in some of the trials that we face this morning, we, we ask God, teach us to look to you and to ask the question, what are you doing? Would you help us all to look more like you, Jesus? By your spirit, may we be people who live lives of surrender, who serve as you serve, who give as you gave, and who will go so that a world that desperately needs to see you might see you through us. Help us, we pray, in all these things. In the mighty name of Christ, amen. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. 
We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.